Ephesians chapter 1, today we're in verses 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come before you as your people to worship you and to hear from you. And Lord, we just pray and we ask that you would come and dwell among us Holy Spirit, move among us, lead us, work in us, because we are hopeless without you, God. And Father, as we look at this text, as we look at these words from your Holy Scripture, Father, may you stir in us the same excitement, the same worship as Paul is so clearly filled in here with. For the praise of your name, for the glory of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Aloha to you, church. Peace be with you all. Um, Aloha to all who are joining us online. For those of you outside, uh, you guys get the second-hand treatment, and we're sorry about that. Uh, But you are with us. Um, A couple announcements before we begin. Um, We... Throughout the summer, we continue to gather in a way uh, with our community groups, Uh, but today we want to just open it up for all of you uh, to join a community group. So if you're not in a group, if you don't belong to a small community group where you could do life with in the church and the body of Christ, uh, we would encourage you to sign up. All that is at the Connect table. Uh, We have some new groups uh, that are starting up. They're wide open. Um, and you're welcome to join. 
Another announcement is we are opening up uh, signups for baptism. There's been some people who have expressed a desire uh, to be baptized, and so we want to uh, baptize you. And so if you have been saved, if you have been, if you have experienced this transformation saving power of God in your life, um, and you want to make that public, um, that's the next step that, call, that God calls us to, is to commit to him through baptism, to tell those around you that that has happened in your life. So we would like to invite you to sign up, and we'll take you through a baptism class, and then at some point, we will baptize you. If we're not able to gather at the beach, uh, we'll dunk you here somewhere in the church or sprinkle some water on you. I'm kidding. <laughs> we won't do that. We believe in immersion. Um, so, currently as a church, we are making our way through the book of Ephesians. And so for the next, for, the, for, the, for a few weeks, we are looking at this passage. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 through 14. This thing is loaded. Um, like we said last week, Paul threw out all grammar out the door. In Greek, there is no dots here. Paul just does it in one swoop. He is excited. He is overwhelmed with what God is doing and how God is blessing his people. And so these blessings, they span from eternity past, before anything ever existed, into eternity future. And these blessings include forgiveness and redemption from sin, election, adoption, future unity with God and glory and inheritance. And all of these blessings, they come to us, they flow to us through Christ. Christ is at the center of all of these blessings. Which means, if you have Jesus, if he is your Lord and he is your Savior, all of these blessings belong to you. They're yours. And so last week we looked at the spiritual blessing of election, where Paul says that God chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world. He chose us not because we've done something great, not because we've had potential, but he chose us for one reason alone, love. He loved us. And so before anything existed, God has loved us you. He set his grace on you to make you his own, to make you an object of his love. And so the spiritual blessing that we are looking at today is adoption. In verse 5, Paul says, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. So the spiritual blessing of election, it flows from the past, but it is experienced today, it is experienced in the present through adoption. God's purpose in adopting us, in in electing us from eternity past, is to adopt us to himself in the present. And the key to understanding Adoption 
this term that Paul uses, this very interesting word. Um, we need to look at how that word was applied during Paul's time. Um, Paul could have used other words to describe this process, but he specifically chose this legal term that was well known in the Roman Empire. It, this type of adoption was a legal process. There was actually documents that were needed to be filed. And adopted children had the same rights and privileges as natural children. And by Roman law, an adopted child actually had more rights than a natural child. Natural children could be disowned, believe it or not. But adoption was irreversible. You could not reverse that process. So adoption was a serious matter. You better choose well. You better really love the kid because you can't get rid of him and he will inherit your stuff. And so if you were adopted, that meant all of your debt would be forgiven. No matter what your status previously was, either whether you were a slave or you were poor, you would be lifted up to the same status of your new parents who adopted you. A new lineage would begin. A new family tree would start. A new ident identity, often a new name. Who you were before did not matter. What mattered is who you have now become through adoption. I don't know, maybe some of you wanted to be adopted. Maybe you, joke, you, maybe you joked about it. Maybe you've met someone who was rich or a family that you've loved, and you said, man, can you adopt me? The famous emperor, Julius Caesar, this is a well-known story. Uh, he was considered a god in the Roman Empire, but he did not have an heir to the throne. He had a problem. And so after his assassination... In his will were discovered documents of adoption stating that his grandnephew, Octavian, later known as Caesar Augustus, would be his adopted son. And so Octavian had no chance to ever become an emperor. He was so far removed from the line of succession but being adopted meant that the royal line skipped everybody else and went directly to Augustus, now the rightful son of Julius. He was to be treated as a rightful son with the same privilege he had the same military power, he inherited the wealth, he inherited the imperial privilege. Everything that belonged to Julius was now his, all because of adoption. And when Augustus assumed power, later on he minted coins. Obviously his face was on the coin, and on it it said, Son of a God, 
referring to Julius. He got the status of sonship, and that status was recognized. That status was respected. Later on, Emperor Nero, who later killed Paul, he was also adopted. This was a common practice in those times. The people knew what implication adoption carried. And certainly, Paul has this in mind as he is writing about adoption. This would ring those bells for people. And Paul says, we were not adopted by Caesar. We were not adopted by some wealthy people or or a lovely family. We were adopted by God. The creator of the universe, the sustainer of everything in existence, he made us his children. Just think about that privilege. Rightful sons and daughters of God. That's who his saints are. For contrast, let's look at who we were before we were adopted. Again, verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through blood, the forgiveness of our trespass, according to the riches of his grace. God did not adopt us because we were lovely children and he just could not live without us. It's easy to love cute, obedient children. I'm a father, I know. God wasn't like, hey, what a great bunch of people. They love the things I love. They do all this good. They will fit right into the family. Let's adopt them. That's not the case. Literally, the next thing that, the next blessing that Paul talks about is redemption through his blood and forgiveness from trespasses and sin. That is what we need. And let me tell you, good people do not need to be forgiven. Good people do not need to be redeemed. And the Bible is clear, we were not good. We were enslaved to sin. We were in debt to God, a debt we could never pay. Paul uses the word trespasses here. In other words, we failed. We've done wrong. We have sinned against a holy God. And that is why at the center of God's blessing from past, present, and future, at the center of this text clearly is the cross. At the center of election, adoption, and future glory are the blessings of forgiveness and redemption 
without the work of Jesus, without him forgiving us, redeeming us, there is no other spiritual blessing. That is why every blessing is hidden in Christ. And so to adopt us, the massive debt that we have incurred, there had to be a price paid. Someone had to redeem us. And that payment was God's only son, was Christ. And so adopting us was not easy. It was not cheap. The blood of Jesus, his life, was the cost of our redemption. And Paul celebrates this. He calls this act of forgiveness, in verse 7, riches of his grace. Glorious, lavish grace, no holding back. The most costly thing that God had, his son, his beloved son, he calls him here beloved. That's what God gave to adopt us. All our sins forgiven, redeemed from slavery to sin, taken off the path of destruction, out of darkness, literally plucked out of hell, and now adopted as his children, loved by God. And it doesn't matter what your identity was, what your status was before. When God adopts us, he gives us the right to call ourselves sons and daughters of God. That is our new identity. Who you were, who you were before adoption is no longer relevant. Who you were no longer defines you. You are a new creation, a new lineage, a new life has started. The old is gone. And not only that, but he gives us access to himself. Church, saints of God, you have access to God. And he calls us saints. And he makes us heirs of his kingdom, and the list goes on and on and on. What kind of treatment is this? First, God took pleasure in choosing us. He set his heart on you from eternity past. And now he adopts us, giving us the most prestigious status, a status we did not deserve. Moving on, adoption and sonship has a lot of privilege. There's a lot to rejoice and celebrate. But to be a child of God also carries responsibilities. Oftentimes we don't like to hear about the responsibilities. We want to hear this first part, the, the good stuff, the privileges. Caesar Augustus, through adoption, came to enjoy a lot of privileges, wealth, 
power. But the responsibility that he had to carry now was massive. He was the emperor of an empire. And so while there are many blessings from belonging to God, there's also a side that we might not like. There's responsibilities involved. No good parent will ever let their children live like they want. Like We're, we're not going to just let our children do whatever they want, eat whatever they want. Parents place responsibilities, expectations on children. We train them up. We discipline them. Kids are expected to obey. And so it is with God. He doesn't hold back his love. He lavishes us with his riches. He gives us immeasurable amounts of grace. But God does not spoil us in the truest sense of that word. He doesn't make us go rotten. And so getting adopted into the family, any family, means that you adopt the family values. You begin to look like the family in some way. You begin to strive for the same goals. Oftentimes, when you hang out with kids from, from some family, just by the kids and the way they are, you can begin to tell what, what values that family holds, what their parents might be like. So it is with God's family. Paul will later say in Ephesians chapter 5, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Children imitate their parents, and that is exactly the case in God's family. We are to imitate our Father. So what He loves, we love. What He despises, we also despise. In a sense, we become an extension of Him. And look at God's ultimate goal for us. Here's his ultimate expectation. It's in verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. The responsibility that we have as adopted children is to be holy and blameless like our Father. Let me just tell you right off the bat, this is a crushing expectation. This is an expectation that none of us can complete. This is something that we fail on on a daily basis. But as God places this responsibility on us, as he places this expectation on us, as he says that we, sh- we should be holy and blameless before him, he also provides a way for us to become 
what he desires us to be. First, he does that by declaring us saints. And he is able to call us saints because he already redeemed our past, our present, and our future sin through the blood of Jesus. So as God calls us to a holy life, he already gives us that identity in Christ. He already gives us the status of a saint. That already belongs to us. And the next thing that God does, he doesn't leave us on our own. After he gives us that status of saint, he doesn't leave us on our own to try to figure out how to live up to this calling now. But he begins a work in us by his Holy Spirit. And that work is called sanctification. It's God at work in us, turning us into the image of his son. And every saint is in this process. This process is a lifetime. It never ends. If someone told you that they have finally became holy and blameless, blameless don't, it's true in a sense, but it's not. <laughs> the process is a battle. It's a tension. It's a fight with sin and flesh. And every believer goes through it. We all experience it. In a sense, we don't like it. This war happens in all of us. We look at God's holiness. We look at God's call on our lives to be holy. And then we look at ourselves and we see our sinfulness, our inability to live up to that holiness. And then at the same time, God calls us saints. He declares us holy. There's a tension. This tension is real. It's the sanctifying work of God. It's real. But here's the promise, church. God says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. This work will be done. There will be a day that the sin that you hate so much in your life, that the sin that you battle with so much, or the effects of sin, the effects of the fall in your life, they will be no more. You will experience complete freedom. All the effects of the fall will be gone. The sanctifying work of God will be completed, and we will be perfected, and we will be fully holy and blameless. promise of God. And so God adopts us into his family. There's a lot of privileges that come with that. There's a responsibility that comes with that. And so you might ask, 
how does adoption happen? How can I experience this adoption today? How do I, how do any, how does anybody become part of God's family? And this is exactly what all these verses are about. This passage is about, Paul is showing us how God does that work. And he shows us God's involvement, God's act in saving us. He also shows us the human involvement. So when we look at God and what God does, it's obvious. Through this text, it is obvious that he is doing all the saving work. The entire trinity is involved in this work. It's his sovereign will, his sovereign pleasure that is making it happen. It is his love and grace at work. He is the initiator. He is the one who chooses. He's the one who adopts. And he does it all through Jesus. He provides the payment of redeeming us and forgiving us through his blood. But how is that experienced in our lives today? How does that reality become true for us here, humans living right now? Verse 13, Paul says, In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So here's the first thing that happens. First, we must hear. Hear with our physical ears. Hear with our spiritual ears. We must hear the word of truth. We must hear the gospel of Jesus. And so that is why God has appointed preaching the proclamation of his word and the gospel of Jesus to be at the center of his saving work. And here's how Paul describes the process in Romans 10, verse 14. He says, How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? Like, basically, how, do, how does someone believe? How does someone come to know that he needs to call on God? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. If we stop preaching, if we stop declaring the word of truth, if we stop proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, we might as well shut the door to the church. There is no point to continue. The church stops to exist as soon as the gospel stops to be preached. 
It becomes a social club, a religious group of people, but there is no power of God. God saves. God adopts. God changes. God transforms when his word is preached. That's when his power is at work. That's the means by which God chose to save through the preaching and through the hearing of God's word. And so when we hear God's word, the spirit of God is at work to give us ears to hear and believe. And that is when we are saved. When we hear and when we believe. That is when your election becomes adoption. And here, lastly, in verse 13 and 14, Paul describes the work of the Holy Spirit that is active in us when we believe. He describes it in three ways. He says it's a promise, it's a seal, and it's a guarantee. It's a promise, a promise that goes way back to the Old Testament. A promise that Jesus gave He said, I will dwell with you and I will be in you. God promised to give his Holy Spirit to everyone who believes. So it's a promise, a promise that God will be in us and with us. The Holy Spirit also seals. He's a seal. Back then, a seal was a mark of ownership, a letter or a or a package, when it would come with a seal, you could recognize who sent the letter by the seal. Or cattle or slaves, they would, be, they would have a seal placed on them. Today, animals are sealed this way. If you go to Waimea, you'll see a mark that indicates whose farm do the, do, does this cattle belong to. Those seals, they are external. God seals us in our heart. God's seal is internal. And so the indwelling spirit in a saint, in a believer, is proof that we belong to God. And lastly, the Holy Spirit is also a guarantee. When we put down a, when we buy a car, if you put down a down payment, You expect that the car will arrive and that it's yours and you will take full possession of it. The down payment gives you a right to the car. Same thing here. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee that God will finish the work that he began. That he will bring us to full glory to himself. And God is not just promising it to us. He is already giving us a taste of it in this life. And as we finish up, I want to read with you 
Romans chapter 8, verse 15 and 16. Paul says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. What a beautiful act of God. The Spirit of God testifies to us that we are children of God. The Spirit of God makes us able to cry out, Father, in the time of need, in time of hardship, in a time of joy and celebration, we are able to cry out, Father, recognize him as Father because of the Spirit that is within us. The Holy Spirit is dwelling in us. He is working in the saints, and he is assuring us that we are children of God, that God is with us, that we are his, that we have been adopted. And this is a spiritual blessing that you can experience today in the present. And so if you have not experienced this, if you don't know this, If God has not made you his son, if you cannot claim right now that, yes, I have a new identity, yes, God has saved me, he has taken me out of darkness, he has forgiven me, and this is your invitation, hear the gospel, hear it with physical ears. Hear it with spiritual ears. This is not a bait and switch. There is no guilt tripping. The gospel is very simple and clear. It is the good news that Jesus came to forgive and redeem sinners. You can never, ever become right with God on your own. You can never do anything to make it right with him. He's already paid the price. Just accept it. Confess your sin. Believe in Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. And he will adopt you. He will make you his daughter. He will make you his son. And he will give you a new identity. He will give you a new status. He will give you his spirit of joy and freedom. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And he will bring you to glory. So hear the word of truth and believe. And for those of us who are saints, may we realize how great our adoption is, how great the spiritual blessing is. And may we, like Paul, be filled with worship and be filled with praise for God's glorious love 
and his rich grace. Let's pray. Father, how good it is to be assured. How good it is to know that we are yours, that we belong to you, that nothing can separate us from your love, that you hold us in your hands, and nothing will snatch us out of your hands. And it is all because of your work, your gracious, saving work. Father, we thank you for the spiritual blessing of adoption. We thank you that you have made us your daughters and sons. We thank you for the freedoms and the blessings that we can enjoy right now today and look forward to in the future. But Father, we, I pray that we would also realize the responsibility. I pray that we would not treat this gift lightly. But like Paul says, Lord, may we imitate you. May we be good stewards of your blessings of your grace, and of your gospel. So Father, as a church, I just pray that you would help us recognize what we possess and who we belong to. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.